Hello, everybody. Quick note before you listen to the episode. We mention Steve Bashir a lot. Uh, we actually mean Andy Bashir, who won the governorship in Kentucky, not Steve Bashir. Steve Bashir is his father, also a former governor of Kentucky. Anyway, sorry about that and enjoy the episode. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Hills. And I want to welcome you guys to episode 13. We have a lot to cover today, including a new segment, but we'll, uh, we'll get there. Uh, today on the pod, we're going to cover the impeachment update, the latest news on that. We'll talk about a little bit election 2020 and more specifically, probably election 2019 that happened this past Tuesday. Uh, we'll go into a new segment, a side dish, where we will tell you a little bit about, uh, you know, a new thing that's happening and whether we want to see more of it or see less of it. And uh, also for our dessert, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Trump losing, which is always always a good thing. Right, Helsey? Uh, it doesn't happen often, but it's a really good thing when it does. <laughs> uh, before we get started, I want to ask everyone, are you registered to vote? If you don't know, go to vote.org, V-O-T-E dot org right now. We'll wait. Seriously, we'll pause the podcast. We'll let you do that, and then you can come back and finish the podcast. Please go vote. No time like the present. Anything you want to add, Hills? I mean, I love voting. I actually love voting. If I could vote multiple times without going to jail, I would do it every day. I mean— I love voting. And honestly, like, if you don't know whether you're registered to vote and you sat out, you know, this past week, just check if you're registered to vote. And if you're not, go register because you don't want to miss 2020. Exactly. You know, in Maryland, at least in where I live in Maryland, there were no uh, elections happening on Tuesday. And I, I, I was kind of sad. I had a FOMO. I had fear of missing out. I wanted to just go somewhere and vote anyways because everyone was doing that. So... Uh, I also enjoy voting. I encourage everyone to go vote. Uh, it's the best thing you can do to save our democracy. That sounds so, uh, like a good way uh, a good way to end the intro. Absolutely. And we're going to hit you with your pre-dinner shot right in the face right after this. Your pre-dinner shot today is a tough one. So in honor of the recent win in Virginia, when was the last time the Democrats had a trifecta, which is control of both houses of the legislature and the governorship in Virginia? Again, when was the last time before 2019 the Democrats had a government trifecta, which means control of both houses of the state and the governorship in Virginia? Uh, you're going to want to go to the history books for that one. Josh, you know it off the top of your head? I do not. I will say I got the – I was in the right decade, but I was off by about six years. So when I found out the actual answer, I did not know it. So it's it's a good question, Hills. It's a tough one, but we think that our listeners are able to handle it. So, Yep. you're gonna. I'll tell you it at the end of the show, so stick around, and uh, we're going to get into the appetizer right now. All right, so now time for your appetizer. Your appetizer today is all about impeachment. 
we're going to talk about what happened, why it matters, and what comes next. Um, there's a lot that's happened, so we're just going to dive right into it. So, uh, this past week, in the past few weeks really, there's been lots of closed-door testimonies from people who used to work uh, for the Trump administration. Maybe some of them still do. Um, they have all confirmed what Mick Mulvaney confirmed, that there was a quid pro quo. Bill Taylor, Alexander Vindman, Fiona Hill, they're all ambassadors, they're all people with lots of uh, knowledge about the Ukraine and governments, and they've all confirmed that the Trump administration participated in a quid pro quo. What that means, essentially, is the Trump administration asked for personal uh, for a personal gain for information on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden in exchange for money that was already promised to them uh, by Congress for help against fighting Russians in the Ukraine. That's not great, Hilsey. That's not it's great. It's also illegal. You know, even if it doesn't sound illegal, it's illegal. <laughs> like, you, you do not do that. And it doesn't matter whether you think it sounds bad or not. It's illegal. And if you do something illegal, uh, you have consequences. Exactly. Um, one of the, I would say, besides Alexander Vindman, uh, who, um, who also gave a really bad testimony for Trump, one of the worst ones is, the, is Ambassador Sondland. He was the ambassador to the EU. He was a big Trump guy. Big donations, threw lots of parties for him. Uh, he uh, went before Congress a couple weeks ago, and he said there was no quid pro quo. Then all these people came out. And he has now decided to revise his testimony and say that there was quid pro quo. So he basically lied to Congress, which is also illegal. Right? It's not Congress, a good thing. You, you do don't that. do that. You shouldn't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's probably not advised. Uh, and so last week, the House voted on rules for impeachment proceedings. Okay, The GOP was very upset. They were throwing a whole fit being like, what are the rules? It's illegal. You can't do this. And so then the House voted on the rules, and the GOP is still upset. Uh, but starting next week, they are going to uh, have open hearings, open to the public. So these will all be televised, and unlike jury confirmations and that kind of stuff, it's going to be they're going to have a long, long time. I think like 30, 40 minutes uh, to to ask questions, make statements. So the hope here is that it really starts to wear away at uh, the approval that Trump wants from the public, that there was no, nothing happened. So um, that's, that's the uh, rules of the proceedings that was voted on. Uh, the vote was almost entirely on party lines. You had two Dems who voted no. Every single Republican said no. Um, but they were able to uh, pass that still pretty easily. And so now, currently, the GOP is saying that there shouldn't be any hearings because, uh, you know, if Trump maybe did something that's that's not entirely right, it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment, and the process is all wrong. So they wanted this process done. That's what they were complaining about. The De Dems are like, fine, here's the process. We'll go through the process. They're like, well, no, it's still wrong. And by the way, Trump didn't do anything that's impeachable. But as we've already discussed, if you do something illegal, uh, it is an impeachable offense. The GOP just likes to move goalposts. They're like everything is is closed doors we should have an open hearing and then the dems are like all right we'll do that for you and they're like no 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 we shouldn't have any hearings at all what are you talking like i feel i mean like the, <laughs> the democrats buy into this every time i just do not get it they could just yep. ignore the gop but they're going to give them time to say what they want and uh the democrats just has to have to play this really well 
Right. I think lots of of uh, Republican members are upset because the whole process is unfair, but they're giving the GOP every right. They're giving the Trump administration every right to, you know, they can have lawyers present. They can cross-examine witnesses. Like, you know, uh, I forgot who it was. There was some GOP guy who said this is like the Soviet, you know, it was, it was uh, Steve Scalise, the, the whip. He's like, this is Soviet-style impeachment. And it's like, dude, in the Soviet Union, you don't get to face your, your accuser. You don't have trials. You just have, you know, you're dead. Now, now you're dead because you said something bad about, about the, the, uh, the head of the government. So this, is, this whole thing is just stupid, and it really pisses me off. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, um, let's talk about why it matters. Hills, what's one reason why this matters? Uh, it matters because hopefully Trump loses. <laughs> now, I, I mean, it matters. It matters for a ton of reasons. One of them that it's going to be on TV all the time for at least the next couple of months. Right. Exactly. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, like I said, that's trying to uh, turn public opinion against Trump. Um, and the second reason is, is that you know. When we, uh, the Democrats will be um, submitting subpoenas and that kind of stuff, and Trump um, always had to obey them. And when he just violates them, it kind of strength, strengthens the Democrats' legal arguments that you know, uh, if you did something, if you did, if you did nothing wrong, if, if the phone call was perfect, it was a perfect call, then why not just come down and just say it? Why not just you know, testify openly? Like if you did nothing wrong, then, then there shouldn't be an issue there. And the more fight that you put up, the more it makes everyone think that maybe there was something pretty, pretty not okay going on there. Pretty, uh, pretty. Yeah, I mean, like if there's nothing wrong, then we shouldn't be having all this. Uh, the the testimony, the I'm sorry, the transcript shouldn't be in right. the secret server. It shouldn't have been coming out like this. I mean, the Republicans said, "Oh, there's a quid quo, quid pro quo." That'll be something really, really dangerous. And then there is one, and they're like, um, uh, it actually doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's like, you know, the problem with this country <laughs> is the Republican Party. Like, they're the ones, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad this is happening. Yeah, I think we'll definitely learn a lot more about what Trump has been up to since he's been president. Um, but that's the whole point of these hearings is just, you know, tell the American public what the president has been up to, how corrupt he's been. And, you know, having them be a public trial is a very, very, very smart thing. The other thing that, that it does is that it keeps Trump and the GOP off their message. They can't be out there now before the election talking about, you know, socialism or jobs or whatever scare tactics they, they want to talk about. They don't get to do that. Instead, they're just talking about this impeachment and how innocent Trump is, and how the whole thing is unfair, and it looks really, really bad on them. So um, this is why it's a good thing to go through the impeachment, even though we know that there's a 99% chance that Trump does not get removed. He can't be talking about what he wants to talk about. When he goes to his rallies, he isn't talking about anything substantial. He isn't even endorsing other candidates. He's talking about how unfair it is and how, you know, how he gets booed at sporting events. <laughs> or any <laughs> event. Just, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's just it, it it it's good for the Democrats. Democrats need to use this time, right, to come together and not fight about stupid stuff. I think that's but, a really um, good point about keeping him off message yeah. because he's in the middle of a presidential run, right? And so now he's got to 
uh, defend himself to different people who may end up like seeing all the stuff that Trump is doing and and kind of uh, stop supporting him. So he's got to actually win those people back. And I, I think this is uh, it could work out great for the Democrats. It could work out, you know, not so great for the Democrats. But um, constant televised hearings with things coming out every day will hopefully um, get those independents in the middle. And the independents, actually, they were polling that, you know, 50-something percent of them support the inquiry, maybe not removing Trump from office. And I think that's a really good thing because, you know, without independence, Trump doesn't win the presidency. He didn't. He barely won the presidency last time. He doesn't win them without independence. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, the other thing is that um, it, you know, it, should allow the the Democrats to be able to use this time to say, look, the President of the United States, instead of trying to make your life better, is up there complaining about how unfair this whole process is. He's up there complaining about how people hate him, the media, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, us Democrats, we're trying to make your life better. We're trying to do things. We're trying to give you health care. We're trying to give you, you know, better jobs and better wages and we're going to take on climate change and, and gun control and we're trying to do all these things what's the president doing he's complaining about how unfair the whole process is he isn't doing anything so if democrats cannot be stupid and get their messaging down that should really help um but there are two things that we should be waiting for that, that are going to come next one is the tv hearings and they start next week and boy, oh boy, if you're ever going to play hooky from work, uh, just uh, maybe one of those days, just, uh, you know, just call call in sick and say, come down with a case of, uh, I don't know, a bug or something and get your get your popcorn ready and turn on C-SPAN because it's going to be a it's going to be a <laughs> show. It's going to be something you call else. in with a case of uh, Trump impeachment. Impeachment. It's a very, very serious disease. It's very contagious, but it only you have to you have to sit in front of the TV though. That's the cure. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Also, something just down the road, uh, because I think the Democrats are going to want to get this done fast. But when impeachment passes the House, because I really believe it will pass the House, Pelosi has the votes. Otherwise, she wouldn't have taken up this mental of um, the inquiry. She would not have uh, taken the votes for going through the, the uh, process. But when it does, people who are senators now cannot be out campaigning because they have to be a jury member in the Senate. So what is the effect that that's going to have on Warren, on Bernie, who are the two main senators who are uh, still in the race? And then, you know, you can even talk about what's going to do to Booker and Klobuchar and Bennett who are still, you know, Booker and Klobuchar are still clawing to, uh, you know, crack the the ceiling and Bennett is trying to remind people that he's still part of the race. So what is it going to do to them when, uh, you know, they have to be in D.C. and can't be out campaigning? Especially for those top tier people. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, they can't be out and you know... McConnell, who's going to decide the schedule of this, is going to be such an a hole, and is going to and is going to oh, make yeah. this as long and arduous as they as he can, especially if Warren and Bernie are the front runners. He's gonna he's gonna screw them. So I thinking I I'm hoping that Chuck Schumer, I mean who knows? It seems like Democrats don't think ahead between another week, but I'm hoping they're thinking about this and like thinking about how they want to structure this and how they want to play this out because. Um, 
it could be really bad for the candidacies if they're not on the trail. Right. And, and so, and you know, some of these, some of the things I've been, the rumblings I've been hearing have been like, you know, six days a week. Um, and it's not enough time to fly to Iowa. <laughs> you know, maybe you could do a, a rally in New Hampshire. Maybe you could do something in South Carolina if you're flying from D.C. But yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. And it could uh, give life to someone like a Biden or a Pete Buttigieg who don't have to be in Washington. So, um, Anyways, that is your appetizer. I think we've, uh, we're have we all warmed up now. We're all ready to go. And your entree is coming up. We have a very juicy entree for you today. It's all about a recap of Election Day 2019. What happened? What does it mean? Uh, does it mean anything for 2020? What does it mean for like before that? All that stuff. So, uh, Josh, I've been saving this all week. Um, <laughs> I, I'm calling it Kentucky bluegrass has now oh. different meaning to it. Oh, I've been I've been hiding it from you. I wanted to make that reference, and I hope our listeners enjoy it as much as I thought about it. Hills, I'm not gonna lie. I think I think uh, we just found the episode title. <laughs> Kentucky bluegrass. Um, so, all right, let's start there. Kentucky had a governor's race, um, and the Democrat, uh, Steve Bashir, um, is ahead by just over 5,000 votes. Um, the race has not been called yet because people say it's too close to call, although all the votes are in, so it pretty seems like Bashir is going to be the next governor of Kentucky. Bashir is a Democrat. Bashir's father was governor from 2006 or seven until 2014. Um, and in the middle was Matt Bevin, who was a, who's a Republican, and he was pretty hated. He was a lot like Trump. He said whatever the hell he wanted. He said a lot of stupid, stupid stuff. He also uh, gutted the Medicare expansion in the state, which was actually really popular because Kentucky is in a very rich state, and there's a lot of people who actually need the health care. So um, Steve Bashir is in the lead. It hasn't been officially called, but it seems like he's going to be the next governor. Uh, and it sh- this shows a couple of things. So it shows that a Dem can win with a bad GOP GOP candidate anywhere. We saw it in Kansas, which has a GOP, which has a Democratic governor now. All these red states where Dems kind of just don't compete, we can compete and we should compete. Um, in Kentucky, at least, this makes life a lot better for a lot of people. It restores Medicare to a lot of people. I think Steve Bashir is going to help restore voting rights. Um, there's a lot of good things for teachers since Matt Bevin really pissed off a lot of teachers. Um, and Trump said at his rally beforehand with Matt Bevin the night before, he says, if you don't reelect Matt Bevin, it's going to be a big defeat for me. Uh, the worst defeat in history for me. Well, he has a defeat. And it's, uh, I, <laughs> I literally, when they, when Bashir was kind of called by a couple of analysts who know what they're talking about. I jumped up and down in my apartment just because I cannot wait to see the map of governor party affiliation and see Kentucky blue again. Yeah, it's it, it's huge. You know, um, I think you talked about it a little bit, uh, Hilsey, about how Dems, if they have the right candidate and they have the right message, how they can that they can compete anywhere. We saw it with Doug Jones, you know, in Alabama. You know, he was going up against the pedophile. <laughs> And it's sad that 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 it took a pedophile to be the the other person to you know kind of get people to not vote for 
uh, Roy Moore, but uh, you know Doug Jones is there, and he's very popular amongst African Americans. He's very popular amongst Dems. He's got a real tough re-election race coming up in a little bit. Um, but yeah, de- Democrats can't compete anywhere. They compete in Kentucky, in Kansas, all these places people don't expect. Now, Steve Bashir is, you know, he's, you know, he's going to restore Medicare. He's doing lots of stuff for teachers. He's going to uh, restore voting rights to a bunch of felons. Um, these are not that radical ideas. These are not, you know, I think these candidates are all pretty moderate. Um, and so it does raise the question of what kind of candidate should Dems have? Do they want a more moderate candidate? Do they want a more extreme candidate? Um, it, all that plays into a little bit into, into 2020. Um, but it was great to see Steve Bashir win. It was great to see Matt Bevin lose as a, um, as a teacher. It, uh, it really upset me what he said about teachers. And he was saying that because they were fighting for uh, wages, uh, you know, that they were making kids uh, more likely to be sexually assaulted or to be assaulted. It was just, it was crazy, crazy stuff. That's so stupid. That's what he said. Oh my God. That's what he said. Uh, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, that's why people hated him. Yeah. And, you know, and they're all these, uh, they're all these, you know, Fox News and other analysts who are saying like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really mean anything because the Republicans took, uh, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the lieutenant governor and the AG and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's something we're not right here because, you know, if the, all those other Republicans won statewide, how did Bevin lose? It's because people hated him. He was a dick. Like he was a terrible, terrible human being who said the worst kind of stuff and people didn't, you know, weren't going to stand for it. And, you know, hopefully it bleeds into 2020 a little bit. Yeah. And if you look at a map of Kentucky, the, the county, the county results, there is a part of Western Kentucky, which is very much Appalachia and very much Trump, um, you know, has coal mining past and present and it voted for Bashir. So you could see, I think the, the healthcare thing really had a toll on Bevin. Um, and you know, this is a state that, that went for Trump by like 30 points. Like Kentucky might be one of the more Trump states in the country. So um, no small feat, even if it's 5,000 votes for a Democrat to beat a Republican in Kentucky. Um, so, just one um, more thing, Hills, that I was going to say with that I heard is that uh, Steve Bashir may try and get the uh, polls to close at a more normal time. Because in Kentucky... Polls close at six o'clock, which is just absurd. I mean, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Why do Republicans want to make voting harder? Voting should be easy. And they try to make it harder. They try and say like, oh, you know, polls close at six o'clock. Um, so I don't know if he's, if he's able to do that or not. If he is, it'd be really nice to see polls close at like seven or eight. You know, those last hours yeah, make like normal, yeah. normal people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like normal people. So. Maybe they closed at six back in nineteen hundred, right. right? When you you weren't working until five p.m. Exactly, or you could go out to where you needed to go. But this is twenty nineteen, and you, I mean, when when things close at six p.m., you're like, why isn't this open? I just got off work. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, that'll be really good. Okay, next good thing: Virginia is blue. Woo! So I'm not going to give you the answer to the quiz question right now, but um, the Dems now own the governorship. Uh, the Virginia State House, the Virginia State Senate, the Lieutenant Governor, the Attorney General, and have both senators from the Democratic Party. Virginia, I'm pretty sure at this point, is pretty much a blue state. Maybe not a New York blue state where you can count it out, but 
probably a pretty solid blue state where maybe you don't have to worry about it as much anymore. Uh, for the first time in a very long time, the Dems took the Virginia House of Delegates and the State Senate. Uh, previously, they did not have um, the State Senate because uh, of by one vote, and they successfully won it. Um, there was a big effort by a lot of people, including former Governor Terry McAuliffe of Virginia. Um, the, the Democratic Redistricting Fund, headed by Eric Holder and Barack Obama. This was like their test case, I think, to go pretty large in 2020 to try and win state houses. Um, and so what does this mean? Virginia uh, can, can redraw districts ahead of the 2020 census, so redistricting, and I'm really hoping that they don't gerrymander the districts. You know, I, I would love them to do some nonpartisan redistricting so no Republican or Democrat can ever screw up the map again. Um, because even though I like, you know, it's beneficial for us, I think it's bad that Democrats gerrymander districts. It doesn't set a good precedent. Um, something that has flown under the radar, Virginia will become the final state to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. Back in the 70s, um, 35 states ratified the Equal Rights Amendments, which enshrined in the Constitution the equal rights between men and women, something that we should have done decades ago. But we uh, only recently states who hadn't ratified it have been ratifying it, and Virginia becomes the 38th state when they're going, and they've, they've said they're going to do this. Um, people have said that it's too late for Congress. Co Congress had a expiry date that was in 1980s. Um, other people have said, well, other things have been ratified after the fact. So I think this is actually going to happen. Um, in addition, there are lots of Democratic priorities that are going to be taken care of. There's going to be more Medicare expansion and more um, things around health care. Voting rights will probably be widened. The, you know, the poll hours may end up being later. Lots of civil rights legislation will be enacted. There's Now that the governor can actually do things that he wants to do and the, and the state uh, Democrats can do what they want to do, there probably will be a lot of progressive re legislation happening in Virginia, probably expanding voting rights, which is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I used to live in Virginia and uh, I guess it took me leaving Virginia to uh, have them go all blue. It was um, all you, Josh, <laughs> that you were stopping it. I was I was the problem. Um, no, I, I think it's great. And, you know, obviously the biggest problem that Virginia Democratic governors have had, you know, whether it be Mark Warner or Terry McAuliffe or um, Ralph Northam, has been, you know, they, they win and then all of a sudden it's like, well, I can't do anything because the House or the Senate or both, you know, won't work with me. But now they have the majority in both. They can pass all this stuff and it's going to be really, really helpful. I, you know, I think Virginia is, is a blue state. I don't think it's like a Massachusetts or a California. But, you know, moving forward, I expect Virginia to be called pretty early. It was a warning sign in 2016 that Virginia was so close between Trump and Hillary. Um, I don't expect that moving forward. I, I really think that Virginia has really gotten blue. Um, I disagree a little bit, Hilsey. Uh, maybe it's just, you know, me, my, me being narcissistic. But I, I would like to see gerrymandered lines in favor of Democrats because this always happens. Democrats try and play nice and play fair, and then Republicans don't. And so the second that Republicans take back the House, they'll, you know, they'll just redraw the lines. If they take it back in the next 10 years, they'll just redraw the lines and it'll be terrible again. So I would like to see the Democrats, if they got 10 years, you know, uh, do a little bit of gerrymandering. Maybe not be terrible, but I don't think it's bad for, for Democrats to play a little dirty because 
the, the Republicans constantly do. And I'm just tired of Republicans constantly playing dirty and Democrats having to be the, the grown-ups in the room. I would really like it if maybe just one time, maybe just one time, Democrats played a little dirty. But Maybe, uh, maybe they can gerrymander the districts and then say for the next census, uh, we are going to have a nonpartisan redistricting committee. And to overturn this law, you need like 80% of all the votes and... Like, make it super hard. I don't understand why people don't do that. Maybe it's illegal. but Yeah. Um, like, make a law and then make it to say, overturn this law. You have to have, like, so many votes. So then the law can't be overturned. Uh, it probably is illegal. <laughs> yeah. Who, what do I know? I think, I'm not a lawyer. I think, I think that's, that, that's perfect. I think that's a great way to do it is, 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 is to gerrymander them and, and then just, you know, just say, like, you know, uh, in following the next census in, in 2030, um, you know, if to redraw the lines, we're going to have a non-political group come in and, and do it. But I don't know how you explain that necessarily. But I think, however you can, is a good thing to do. But yeah, um, no. Um, so good. Those are the two big, the the huge things that came out of Election Day 2019. So there's a couple other things that we definitely want to talk about. In Mississippi, it was also a governor's election, um, and the GP won. Uh, but they won by a smaller margin than in any really in recent history for Mississippi. Um, I think it was like 52-47, which is not really good for a state that should be pretty comfortably Republican. Um, uh, Jim Hood was, I think that's his name, um, was a Democratic candidate, and he ran up the margins in the big cities to try and diminish the GOP returns in the rural areas. Um, and then I think the, the candidate, uh, Tate Reeves, he just wasn't a good candidate. He also looks really funny. Uh, he's got like, yeah, I, I feel like he should get a haircut. Um, Google, Google Tate Reeves and you'll see what we're talking about. He, you're, maybe that's one of the reasons people didn't vote for him. But <laughs> um, in Pennsylvania and a lot of other places all around the country that there's just too much to name, um, there's a lot of state counties that flipped in the east of the state to the Democrats previously held by the GOP. And these are really, this is really important because this is the area uh, all up and down um, the the Philadelphia area. Um, A lot of counties that used to be traditionally Republicans flipped to Democratic control. And these were the areas of Pennsylvania that um, didn't vote a lot for Democrats and kind of offset the the victory for Trump because in the western part of the state, um, Trump really had a surge in voters. Um, and in the western part of the state here as well, in the southwestern part, there were traditionally Democratic areas around Pittsburgh. They all flipped to the GOP. So maybe this is a preview of 2020, but um, it's a good thing that Democrats are so strong in the eastern part, portion of the state because they never have been as uh, Democratic as they were and maybe a good sign for 2020. Yeah, I think both of those are, are, are important. Um, the, uh, the official count from... Uh, the Mississippi race was 52 to 46 and a half or something. So, so it's like, you know, five and a half points, which in a deep red state like Mississippi uh, is some cause for concerns uh, for the GOP. Um, I don't think Jim Hood was necessarily the best candidate for the Democrats, but that's neither here nor there. Um, In Pennsylvania, I think that's huge. You know, lots of these, you know, this is very reminiscent of how in 2011, uh, you know, you had the GOP flipping all these local districts. At the time, it's like, oh, who really cares? But we, we see now, we, we saw in 2016 what that meant. Um, so the fact that, you know, 
Democrats had a very good night in 2019 in some key states like Kentucky, like Virginia, like Pennsylvania. Um, it, it, it means all good things going forward, and it's very re reminiscent of what happened in the, in the, in the, for the GOP, and hopefully it leads to the same outcome in uh, 2020. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue to, so what does it all mean? So we, we said a little bit about it, but there's a couple of other things that, um, you know, broader themes. Dems are winning in the suburbs that led, led to the victory in Kentucky and Virginia. I mean, Democrat, the Republican support in the suburbs have eroded. Maybe not completely. I mean, they're still competitive. But the fact is that so many Dem counties um, in the East, you know, those are suburbs of Philadelphia, and they flipped blue. The fact that um, Bashir won in Kentucky was because the suburbs of Cincinnati, which le leak into Kentucky, um, weren't as high margin for the GOP. And so that actually led Bashir to get on, out on top. The fact that Virginia is all blue is because of the suburbs. The suburbs are going to Democrats right now. But, you know, we can't, the turnout is up. That's the second thing. Um, turnout is up. Uh, but we can't discount the GOP. I mean, they, they are, their turnout's up too. We're just rising above them. So we have to keep an eye on the turnout. Turnout is not assured. It will be in 2020 maybe, but um, you know, that's another big thing. Um, three more things. Uh, number three, impeachment hasn't hurt the Democrats yet. Uh, impeachment was on the, the, the campaign in Kentucky and in Virginia, and Democrats won. So it hasn't hurt anything yet, probably because it has barely started. Um, number four, <laughs> Donald Trump lost and was booed. Boo. boo. Do you want to say boo, Josh? Boo. boo. Uh, he was booed at multiple events uh, uh, in New York, in D.C. Then he went to uh, Louisiana, um, which actually has a governor's race on Tuesday, but we don't know how that's going to go. Um, but, you know, he's actually getting a dose of reality, which is really good because he probably just is in the White House and thinks everyone loves him because he goes to his own rallies. <laughs> so when you're feeding your own ego with the same stuff, you're only going to get one side of the argument. That's right. Um, and uh, the last thing is that Dems have to use this momentum, impeachment, etc., to unify. They have to unify. They cannot be as, you know, bickering as they are now about stupid stuff and messaging. We have to come together. And people, if you are a Warren person and Biden wins, you have to vote for Biden. If you're a Biden person and Warren wins, suck it up, vote for Warren. They are so similar at the end of the day. It's not going to hurt you. You have to vote for the Democrat, maybe except if it's John Delaney. <laughs> but, but honestly, you have to... If, if Trump is not out of office, everything that you care about is going to be thrown out the way, water. And if Biden, if it was Biden and Warren, the stuff that you care about is going to get tended to. So, and kids won't be in cages. Kids, are, I mean, simple as that. So yeah. you have a choice. Yeah. You know, I want to say one thing about the suburbs is we saw this in 2018. The reason that the House shifted back to the Dems was because of the suburbs. So even if Democrats aren't winning the suburbs, just trying to make them competitive, just trying to go to these places and make it competitive. And if you can win, it, it, it's, it's huge moving forward. And, you know, um, I, I think that uh, I was very encouraged by what I saw in 2018, 2019. Now you have to finish in, in 2020. Um, Hill's absolutely right. You have to get behind the, Dem the Democratic nominee, whoever it is. They're not that different. Um, and 
We saw what happened in 2016. If you sit out or if you vote for a third party, bad things happen. So don't vote for Jill Stein. Don't be one of those Bernie bros and, you know. Oh, God, not Jill Stein. <laughs> and don't be a Bernie bro and be like, oh, I'm not voting for anyone who's not Bernie. It's like, no, just suck it up and do it because this is not – we're not messing around anymore. This is serious, it's serious stuff, and we, we have to get serious about it and realize that, you know, the, Repu- the Republicans aren't going anywhere. Their turnout is huge. And it's going to be huge, especially with Trump up there, you know, rallying the base. Um, so get out there and and vote and make sure that you're registered to vote. There you go. It came full circle, Hilsey. It's now been full circled. Full circle. I mean, man, Democrats have to finish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, boy, do we ever have to finish. If it was a time to finish, now is the time. Um, well, I think this brings us to our, our next new segment, brand new. We're calling it the side dish. Um, so uh, you're going to have a little side dish uh, course coming up. Welcome, everybody, to our new segment called the side dish. So uh, Josh or I will use three minutes to talk about an item, um, and the other one will decide if it stays on the menu on the, the podcast for the future episodes. Uh, basically, is the topic that we're going to talk about something that we want to see more or less of um, because of whatever it is. So, uh, Josh, will you mind setting a timer for three minutes? Yes. And you at home, you can also set a timer for three minutes. Uh, we time have our me. time. No, you, you can't, Hilsey. Only I can time it. <laughs> and, and the listeners. All right, Hills, I'm going to count you down. And your three minutes starts now. Okay. The side dish is about Michael Bloomberg. Who is Michael Bloomberg? He's a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy businessman, CEO of Bloomberg a Financial Services Company. He was former mayor of New York City for about, I mean, I think 12 years. Um, and he filed paperwork to file uh, to run the presidency in Alabama because he missed the cutoff for the other states and couldn't qualify them. So uh, why is he doing this? Why is Michael Bloomberg, another billionaire, getting into the Democratic race? He doesn't think the Dems are strong enough. I think a lot of millionaires and billionaires, the billionaires, are scared of Elizabeth Warren becoming president because they are selfish and they are stupid. And (laughs) I mean, maybe they have some valid critiques, but he doesn't think any of the Dems are strong enough. So we need another 80-year-old white guy to run for president. And... um, I don't understand why he thinks another billionaire is a much better option than uh, any of the other candidates on stage. Uh, He has a lot of money, and by a lot of money, he's got a lot of money. He is worth billions of dollars in his net worth. So what does that mean? He can basically buy his path to victory. So he's starting out in Alabama, and I got to bet you that the main people who vote in Alabama are African-American voters. They're the main core constituency of the Democratic primary. And uh, I bet you they don't really know or like Michael Bloomberg. He's did a lot of things with uh, stop and frisk in New York, which proportionally affected, disproportionately affected people of color. But what he could do is he could just hire as many organizers as he wants across the states in the South to run his campaign. He can hire as many people as he wants. He's got a billion dollars to spend, if not more. So he can try and buy this primary and buy the vote and blink at the airwaves, but I mean, he's another, he's a Biden-esque candidate. He's, he's, you know, he's progressive on some issues, but not on the other. Um, and 
we're probably going to see more of him in the future. And I am done. All right. You did it in two minutes and 12 seconds. Oh, I was under. You. under. You're under. So, but that's fine. Um, my decision is two thumbs way down. I want to oh. see a lot less Bloomberg. I, I just, what is, like, he doesn't have a path. He already missed all the early states. So you've missed all the early states. You decide now, less than a year away from the election, to get in. So you qualify for the Alabama ballot. A great, awesome. But like you said, no one in Alabama is going to vote for Mike Bloomberg. He's a New York, you know, elite mayor, business person who's no one's going to vote for him in Alabama. So what? Like what? You're hoping for like the New York primary. I mean, it just seems like he's trying to mess things up. He also criticized Howard Schultz. He told Howard Schultz when Howard Schultz announced, and everyone was freaking out about Howard Schultz. He told him like, "You can't do it. You can't." Uh, win in a third party. Trust me, I've tried. It's not worth getting in. It's much better to, you know, just donate to the candidate. That's what he said. And now here he is, j- you know, jumping in. I just, I can't stand it. I, I, I don't hate him as a person. I think he's a good person. I think he, he would be a fine candidate to a run if he got in when everyone else did. But you, you don't get to come in less than a year before the election and just flaunt your $52 billion. That's his net worth, $52 billion. You don't get to flaunt that in front of everyone being like, now I want to enter. You know, it's my turn. I feel like I'm being left out. Blah. You don't get to do that. And I, I, I hate it. And I want to, I don't want to ever have to discuss him again on this podcast. <laughs> I hope we don't, but uh, our savior is coming and his name is Michael R. Bloomberg. Um, I'll leave you with this one thing. Uh, I did see a tweet by a reporter and he switched his primary, uh, his party affiliation from Democrat to Republican back in 2001 before he ran for mayor of New York. And in an overwhelming Democratic city, everyone was like, why are you doing that? And he won the nomination for the Republican Party and he won the, the, the mayorality in New York for three times. The last time was he was an independent. But, um, you know, if he, he did that, he pr- is probably thinking, I can do whatever I want. There are lots of bad precedents to set, so... Uh, but that's your yeah. side dish. There it is. Uh, let us know what you guys think of the side dish. If we should uh, keep go- keep it on in the podcast or get rid of it. I think it's fun. I, I like it. So uh, it's a good idea by you, Hilsey. Thank you. We'll have, we'll have another side dish for you next time. Absolutely. But now let's get to your dessert. All right. You had your pre-dinner shot. You had your entree. You ate your veggies with a side dish, and now it's time for your dessert. For your dessert, we're going to talk about Trump uh, and being screwed, basically, which is fun. Uh, so Trump was fined $2 million for misusing charity money. I use charity money in quotation marks because his foundation, this charity, was supposed to help you know, with AIDS or cancer, and instead it didn't do any of that. It just it further... Uh, shows us all that Trump is a horrible person. Uh, his charity does not help anyone. No surprise there. It only helps himself. Um, he brought private products with tax-exempt money, which you can't do against the law. You ready to hear what he what, what, what we know he bought, Hilsey? There's a lot of things that he bought, but here's what we know he bought. Two Ooh, big please things. tell Are me. Please, please tell me. <laughs> okay. So one was a self-portrait of him that was ten thousand dollars 
So some some painter made a painting of him that was worth $10,000 for some reason, and he bought that, okay? So, all right, you know, not great. Those were $10,000. Not great. <laughs> not great. Then he bought a life-size, like, a, like we're talking like six feet tall, portrait of himself for $25,000. So he spent $35,000 from his charity for, for tax-exempt money to buy two portraits of himself. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> there's, a, there's a pattern there, right? There is. It's crazy. Um, and no one cared uh, or was doing oversight uh, since the Trumps are so corrupt. But this is a rare instance where he didn't want to pay, but a court made him do it. Um, and, you know, it's it's good that the court made him fine, uh, made him pay the $2 million fine. Uh, you know, it's one of the these rare moments where he has to actually do it. He also had to do it with uh, the Trump Foundation as well. Or the Trump, uh, Trump University. That's what it was. Trump University. That was that was great. Um, the other thing about Trump is he also lost the battle in New York about his tax return. He said that he has to release his tax returns. Um, he is appealing that decision. Uh, so who knows what will happen if he ends up paying? You know, if he ends up releasing it, how any of that works. But that could be big. So stay tuned for more on that. But any time that Trump has to do anything that he doesn't want to do. It just, you know, it, it fills your heart with joy and it gives you tingly feelings. So, I mean, anytime Trump loses, it's a good day for America. Uh, I, <laughs> I, he should have spent, I, I mean, $35,000 on two self-portraits of yourself. Seems pretty low. I mean, I, I usually go for 65000 or higher. Right, right, I right, mean, that's the only right. good quality stuff. Right. I mean, you know, and, and it's not just enough to have one portrait of yourself. You know, you got to have two. You got to have one in every room. So, um, you know, there are other things in there that he bought, but, you know, just it just feeds the self, you know, self-aggrandizing, narcissistic person that he is. And no one should be surprised by this. Um, and I would He's love to He's a narcissist? Ask, what? <laughs> I know. I know. Bold claim here on the podcast. But uh, I would love to ask Trump supporters – do you think that you are allowed to use charity money and tax exempt money to buy two portraits of yourself for $35,000? Do you think that's okay? Hills, let's play this game. Imagine Obama did that. Imagine Obama spent $35,000 and got two portraits of himself. Republicans' heads would explode. Well, I would, I would then think that Obama should have done that because he's a great president. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> they would have called for his impeachment as soon as they read that article. I, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, it's not good. I mean, what, what, this is a good thing that that Trump lost this case, and uh, I agree with you. I think, I think we're going to see his tax returns pretty soon. To be honest with you. Oh, that would be so great, so great to see his tax returns. Um, but anyways, that was your dessert, something sweet to sweeten up your weekend. And uh, Hills, I think people, I hear outside, people are clamoring for, for the answer. They, they, they need to know the answer. They're, they're all chanting, tell us the answer to when the Democrats had a trifecta. It's a really long chant. <laughs> right, it is. Yeah, yeah. They should really just try to find a way to shorten that. Yeah, they, they have a rhythm, though. So I don't know if I want to I stop them. But maybe we should give the people what they want. I think so. Okay. Uh, here's your answer.
your long-awaited answer, the chance they're overwhelming. So the, the question was, when was the last time the Democrats had a trifecta, which means control of both houses of the state legislature and the governorship in Virginia? The answer is 1993. That was the last time the Democrats controlled all pet lovers of state government. And uh, it is now, what's it, uh, 20-something years later? <laughs> yeah, I can't do math. Yeah, 2019, 16 years later? No, much more than that. 26 years later? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah so, that's right. So uh, it's a, quite a while, and I think I couldn't find the answer to this part. Uh, when was the last time they controlled all the uh, offices of state government like they do now and had a trifecta? I think it was the 1970s, but I couldn't find an answer on that. But it's been quite wow. a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, I think it's, it's great. You know, my guess was 1999 was my guess. Uh, I was six years short, but uh, yeah, that's a good question, Hills. And now, and now the chanting is slowly dying down. The crowd outside of my apartment is now leaving because they know the answer. So Everyone was a little underwhelmed by the answer. <laughs> Josh, you were just Fuck a up. wee lad in 1993, and you didn't I even know. know how good you had it. Oh, man. If only I had known, I would have stayed in Virginia. Um, but, uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, Hills, anything you want to leave the uh, people with? Any, uh, any final messages? I hope that they love their answer, and I hope they love the side dish. <laughs> yes, please let us know uh, about the side dish. Um, but before you go, just a few important messages the intro and outro music is done by Brett Hillsberg. If you enjoy this podcast, please smash that subscribe button on your podcast app. It really helps us. Uh, tell your friends to listen. And if you can, share the episode on social media. Uh, if you want to donate to the info section on the episode you're listening to, please do so. Any questions, email us at 3coursepolitics at gmail.com. That's 3coursepolitics at gmail.com. We want to thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back in your podcast feed before you know it. Thank you all. Bye, everyone.